Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Are we all good, Brian? All set. Excellent, excellent. Right, we're going to crack it. We'll crack on. We'll make a start. So, all good, all good. So, welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I'm here today with a serial entrepreneur and business owner. It's the wonderful Brian Clayton, who is the CEO and founder of Green Pal. And Green Pal has been described as the Uber for lawn care. So welcome, Brian. Nice to see you. Jeanette, thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be here. Oh, fantastic. And all the way from Tennessee. That's right. Tennessee, United States of America. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So we are going across the pond, everyone, today to hear all about Brian's journey and all the tips and tricks he's going to help us out with in terms of running businesses and being an entrepreneur. So, Brian, we're going to get stuck in. I can't wait for this conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's my wheelhouse. I love talking about how I've built two businesses from scratch. And and uh, what I hope people take away from listening to me uh, give an interview or talk is that if that guy can do it, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's all about inspiration, isn't it? How we can support and learn from each other. So yeah, anything is possible. But Brian, I think you're probably being very humble because I know the businesses that you've started have actually, you know, you've built them to quite a significant scale. So we will get into how you start up versus scale up as well. Um, but before we do, before we get into all the detail, Brian, do you want to just give us a quick canter through your business life and anything else you might want to throw in there? Be good to hear. Yeah. So today I'm CEO co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which works like Uber, but for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and you need to get your lawn mowed rather than calling around on Facebook or Craigslist or something like that, you just download GreenPal, pop your address in, and somebody comes and takes care of the chore for you and you pay them and schedule them right through the app. GreenPal is like a 10-year overnight success. My two co-founders and I have been at this thing for a decade and uh, and have built it out to a nationwide marketplace in the United States. So anywhere in the United States uh, with a population of like over 20,000 people, we have uh, the marketplace stood up, have liquidity, and you can just order a lawn mowing service right through our app. Uh, But we're self-funded. We haven't taken on any outside capital, which is kind of rare with tech startups like ours, but it's the path that we chose and it worked for us. And uh, now we're doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue, closing in on 30 million a year in revenue. And and uh, profitable. And and uh, it's been a heck of a journey. The first few years of building the app were, were really, really challenging, particularly because we didn't know how to code. We didn't know how to build software. When we first started the app, none of us knew how to, how to do any of this stuff. We had to kind of learn along the way. And uh, the reason that was because my first business was actually a landscaping company. I, I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and uh, and grew little by little uh, my little lawn mowing business over a 15 year period of time. Built it to one of the, the largest landscaping companies in the southeast. Uh, got it over 150 people, over 10 million a year in revenue. And then in 2013, that business was acquired uh, by a large landscaping business in the United States. 
And then after that, took some time off. And I thought, what now? What am I going to do with my life now? And uh, I thought, well, somebody's going to build an app to make this all work like it, like, like Uber. Uh, why not be me? And uh, I was naive. Naivete was kind of my asset and got in there with two co-founders. And here we are 10 years later. So 22 years, two businesses in, in this industry, uh, sold one and, and both of them over eight figures in revenue. I, I've learned a little bit about getting one of these things going from scratch. Wow, no, that's great. And um, what I love about your your story is, well, you're so passionate about it all. So you, can, you, can, you exude the energy and we need a lot of energy in business, in particular as an entrepreneur, because there are highs and lows, which we're <laughs> going to talk about for sure, <laughs> for sure. But but Brian, just, just like going back actually sort of pre-business life a little bit, you know, where did you get that entrepreneurial spirit from, do you think? You know, was it from your sort of your, your family background or other people in your life? The influence you? How was it? How was it in your early life growing up? And and how did that sort of enable you to get into business in the first place? Do you think? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so I was kind of the first business owner in my family. Everybody else in my family kind of worked a typical uh, corporate job and and hardworking. I, I guess I guess uh, one thing I did get from my folks was was work ethic and and what it means to to work hard. I was lucky though because I was forced into entrepreneurship, actually dragged into it by my father. Uh, I was. I remember it very clearly. Is day I'll never forget. Uh, I was 15 years old. I was playing Super Mario Kart, and he uh, interrupted me and said, "Hey, get off your butt! I've got a gig for you. You're gonna go mow the neighbor's yard." And I wasn't living in a democratic household. Uh, this was this was a this was a direct order, and uh, and so he made me. He made me go mow the neighbor's yard, and I got paid. I remember, I'll never forget, I got paid 20 bucks for, for an hour's work. And in 1995, that was a lot of money. And I thought, this is incredible. You mean I can just go do this and just make as much money as I want? And I don't have to beg you guys for money anymore. And I can buy the stuff I want. I don't have to wear the cheap soccer cleats. I can buy the good soccer cleats. If, if I just mow five of these, this is incredible. And I passed out a bunch of flyers all over the neighborhood that literally that, that same day. And uh, by the end of the, my first summer, I had maybe 15 customers. And that simple little idea, that simple little business, uh, I grew uh, little by little to over 150 employees and, and $10 million a year in revenue. So everything, everything starts small. And uh, look, looking back, like growing that business and now my second business, it, it almost unfolds like a video game. It, it really does. Like every level is just its own set of challenges and you just work one level at a time. Wow, that's great. So we've got a lot to thank your dad for, even though at the time you probably didn't feel like it when you had to haul your ass off the sofa. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, luckily, he forced me to do it because I never would have done it on my own. Oh, fantastic. And what, 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 did, what profession was your dad in and your mum in? What, what, what he, were they into? My father was in the military for 22 years and then went into uh, manufacturing management. And then my mother was a, was a college uh, professor, an English professor, a PhD and so I learned different things from each of them. Uh, and, and, and I'd like to think I'm the best of both of them. And without them, you know, there's no telling where I'd be. You know, I, I'd like to think that I, I, I picked up from them that, you know, if you just work your butt off, you can improve your station in life. And that's definitely been the case for me. 
Yeah, no, that's great. So, so from that that small acorn, uh, as they say, you know, this yeah. massive big oak tree grew, and and so you know, in the early days, it was you as a solopreneur, let's say, um, just kind of starting out, doing the work yourself, getting the customers yourself. Um, in those early years of starting to scale up, Brian, what what were the various sort of steps that you went through? Because a lot of people listening to this podcast, they might be th- or watching it on YouTube, actually, might actually be thinking, oh, well, I'd really like to start a business, but you know, how do you go from being just one person to 150 employees, as you said, and 10 million of turnover? Because there's different stages to that. So can you just talk us through the growth and the solopreneur to becoming a pretty sizable business? Yeah, looking back, one thing that's made sense to me, if I could I had to do it all over again, you know, the first business took 15 years. I could, knowing what I know now, I could probably do it in four or three. And if you know, it's it's just one of those things you have to learn it as you go. And looking back, <clears throat> really the metaphor of a video game made sense to me. Is focusing all of your intensity on one level at a time and not worrying about anything else. And so what I mean by that is, is most people, when they're, when they're starting a business from scratch, they're, they ha- they're worried about Bowser-related problems. And the reality is Bowser does not matter. You are on level one. You, you need to get your first 10K a month in revenue and you got to figure out how you're going to do that, and and nothing else, nothing else matters. And then when you get to level two, maybe you got a maybe you got a hundred grand a year in revenue. Now, now maybe you need an employee, and now so you got to focus everything on how do I recruit somebody, train them, how do I get them uh, up to speed quickly, um, how do I train them in a in a repeatable routine, uh, like and 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 nothing else matters until you figure that out. You don't need to worry about things like. Uh, what's the culture of the business or what's the brand of the business or what's my PR strategy or what's my HR strategy or whatever, because those things really don't matter at that stage of the game. So focusing everything you've got at one level at a time uh, is is what's made sense to me. Uh, the, the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber is a great book about, about working in the business work versus working on the business, really internalizing that, understanding that, you know, Monday through Friday, might just be working in the business. Uh, it's 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 just holding it together. It's in my case, it was mowing the yards, and then work, and then maybe Saturday and Sunday might be working on the business. It's like, okay, I gotta get an employee. How do I find one, train one? Uh, how do I figure out like what the economics of that mean? You know, if I if I if I if I pay them twenty dollars an hour, how can I recover all, all of my overhead and, and and make a profit? And just figuring that out. Maybe that's a Saturday and Sunday thing. The third. Uh, uh, paradigm, I guess I would add to what Michael Gerber wrote about was you also have to work on yourself. So working in the business, on the business, and then working on yourself, you're going to have to learn new skills. You're going to have to learn basic bookkeeping, basic, you know, basic accounting, basic economics, basic uh, leadership. Now, now that you're going to hire this employee, basic management, uh, basic sales, basic marketing, you have to f- set out time uh, aside uh, for these sorts of things. The good news is, is that you can get on YouTube University and learn anything you want to learn, or you can listen to podcasts like this one. You can learn this stuff, but you got to set aside time. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great. And you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's there's this sort of combination of big picture thinking and having a clear mm-hmm. vision and a purpose and where you're heading. And some of that can be a bit, uh, you know, sort of out here and a bit conceptual. Abstract. But, yeah. yeah, quite abstract. But it can, you know, for some people, that's great because they need that. It pulls them towards a bigger, you know, a longer term goal. 
But you're absolutely right. You also, that can be overwhelming. So how do you break it down and just focus on what needs to be done right here and now? Um, and I really like the way you describe that, you know, in terms of in the business, on the business and on yourself. And I just want to like bring back to the big picture piece for you, Brian. So at that point, um, or actually even where you are now, you know, did you have a vision, a longer term vision, or was it literally just focus on the here and now and then get to that next stage and then decide what, or did you have something bigger in the back of your mind that you wanted to achieve as well? It's a really good point. It's uh, there's all sorts of, all, all sorts of dichotomies, and, and the journey of, of getting a business going. And one of them is you have to have this big goal, this big grand vision, but you also have to think and act very, very small and, and, and humbly <laughs> over for a very long period of time. So it's like, wow, am I, am I a big shot business owner, entrepreneur, or am I like chief order taker? And like, do I just like sweep the floors at night here? I don't know. It's like, wait, am, I, am I big time or not? And, and so it's, it's you, you literally live in both worlds. And, and you, you kind of have to hold both of those, those concepts uh, in your head at the same time. In fact, I, I think I read a quote one time that that's the hallmark of a, of a brilliant mind is the ability to hold two opposing, opposing viewpoints in your head at the same time. That's kind of like what business is like, is, is you have to have that big vision and you have to execute at a very small level. Um, the one, one way I've heard this put well is that <clears throat> there's output metrics and then there's input metrics. And so the output metrics might be, in five years, I want to be running a $5 million business. And, and the input metric is, well, I got to get my first 250K in revenue. And that means that uh, I've got I've to, in stages of my life, pass out flyers. Or that means I have to do 100 cold calls. Or that means I have to really figure out how to, how to run, stand up this Facebook ad campaign. Or it means that if I'm running like a small fashion brand. I, I need to, I need to take all pictures of all of this creative to put on Instagram, whatever it is. It's all these little things that you're going to have to do on a daily basis, maybe even an hourly basis. It's like, you know, you had split your days out, how you're going to execute on a, on a very small level to work towards the, the output metric. Yeah. And uh, that's something that's made sense for me. It's, 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 it's really like taking it down to the granular, granular level on how you're going to execute to get there. Yeah, I know. I love that because because you can suffer with overwhelm. I think as well. If you if all you're thinking is in the abstract yeah. and the longer term, it's that's great. You know, have a big vision and a purpose. But actually, what's gonna what you're gonna do today when you get out of bed? What are you focusing that's exactly on today? Right. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. So, right, you see, you talked about working on yourself, Brian, and and obviously, working on yourself can be all manner of things, can't it? It can be the technical skills you might need to learn, the business skills you might need to learn to to actually, you know, be proficient at what you're trying to do. But there's also you as a as a whole person, isn't there? In terms of your mindset, your well being, you know, the people you surround yourself with, which is more on the self care kind of perspective rather than the more technical aspects of, of being a business owner. So can you talk a little bit about that as well? Because I think sometimes we we talk about all the great things to do with business, but there are it is tough. It's very difficult on your own sometimes. And at times we can let not not prioritize our, our own well-being through this entrepreneurial crazy journey that we're all on. It's uh it really all does kind of like flow together into one thing. For me, 20 something years of business, I am my business. My business is me. So my personal well-being, my, you know, me staying in shape, me getting enough sleep, me, you know, being consistent with 
things like meditation and exercise are important for the business <laughs> because if, if because if I'm not you know tuned up, then the business is going to suffer. And so I think for me, like all these things, kind of kind of go into one basket. And and it's uh you know it, it, there's a yin and a yang at times you know when you're first getting going you're gonna run really hard and some of these things might suffer uh but there, there's always going to be a, like there's a there's a bill to pay uh, with interest uh, uh, if you let these things if you neglect these things long enough and and ideally if you could keep them all in whack and and take care of yourself and stay in good shape and 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 have a little bit of that I guess you could say balance. Um, it's, 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 it'll save you some headache, but the reality is it's, it's hard for me. I've, you know, when I first started green pal, we worked seven days a week, uh, 80, 90 hour weeks and my personal well being took a hit, but that's kind of what was necessary to get that business going. And then after we got our first half million a year in revenue, I could pull back just a little bit and then develop some sort of process to, to not, to, to get that straightened out. Um, so I don't think there's like a silver bullet. I just think, I think you have to be mindful of the fact that, that, that you are your business, that your personal well-being, your personal care is, is, is the business's success and vice versa. Um, but I don't have it all figured out in, in terms of, of, of keeping it like perfectly imbalanced. At, at times these things get out of control and, and then I have to like bring them back in the check. Yeah, no, I think that's it, isn't it? Sometimes we 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 set ourselves up with this ideal of um, you know, utopia and and the, the perfect life, the perfect balance. And of course it's not like that, is it? We we're all um we're all we're all perfectly imperfect, I always think. Yeah, um, <laughs> these things are gonna get out of balance and you, you just have to recognize when they do and then help correct them. It, I don't think there's a perfect work life balance equation when starting a, a new business from scratch. It's like mm. it's everything you've got. It's all of your soul's like energy going into getting this thing going. And, and, and unfortunately, some other things are going to take a hit. I don't think it's possible to start a business from scratch with the, with the work-life balance thing, um, uh, you know, perfectly in harmony. Uh, unless you've done it before two or three times and maybe you can get a bunch of capital behind you and you can outsource a lot of these things. Uh, but if you're going from like zero to one, no track record, it's going to be everything you've got. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the watchouts then, Brian? You know, you mentioned when you started Green Pal and it was all consuming you, working really long hours and just trying to really like get the business, you know, moving forward. What were some of the what have been some of the watchouts for you um along that that sort of journey and that can make help other people to sort of think, oh, hang on a minute, I am getting a bit out of whack here. How did it manifest for you and, and any tips for people? Yeah. Um so the reason why it was so hard, because I was doing all three of those things, right? In the business, on the business, on myself. I had to learn how to build software. I had to learn how to, how to code and how to do things like SEO and how to, how to hire an engineering team. So there was just not enough hours in the week. So that's why it was so challenging. But for me, I, I guess uh, one of the, I guess, canaries in the coal mine was I just got out of shape. I quit exercising. I, I put on like, like, like 50 pounds and and uh, I think it was year three or four where I was just I was just beat and I was living on terrible food and and personally had gotten out of shape. And my my co-founder says, said, uh, we got to do something. Uh, and he goes, I'm going to I'm going to do the marathon uh, in, in this spring. And, and, and we're having this conversation in January and I had never ran over a mile in my life. But we signed up for the marathon and, and we did the training. 
and we did it and we, we ran it and, and got it done. And I, and I was able to get myself back in shape doing that. And I started noticing all of these like parallels between marathon training and business and all of these kind of universal things that were similar to both. And, uh, one was like this, the concept of consistency and, and momentum and, and, and just doing the, 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 the plan day in, day out. And just marching towards that goal works in, in fitness and marathon training and also in business. And it's like, you know, you see these people, uh, these goofy people running on the side of the road at a stoplight in place, uh, like they're jogging in place, waiting for the stoplight to change. You know, they look goofy. Uh, but uh, one thing you don't realize, like, until you, like, when you're out there running like 18 miles, it, it's actually more painful to stop, wait for the light to change. And then, and then start again, you just keep running and business is a lot like that. Um, if you get stuck and you stop and you, and you just kind of like take a break from it, it's really hard to get it, get it going again. So it was interesting, all these little parallels I noticed getting back in shape training for a marathon, uh, and also the journey I was in at that stage of the game, growing green pal, like, like pushing a rock up a hill. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, see, I have been one of them goofy people. Stood yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> they're just running in place like what the hell is, what is this person doing <laughs> yeah and when you did the marathon after that then brian did did that did the whole exercise and healthier eating and looking after yourself did that become more of a, a sort of a, a routine and something yeah. that you then continued after that yeah because it was just so hard it was so hard to to to, to get myself back into shape i didn't want to go back i didn't want to do that again and so i was able to maintain from there um, and then, so you might, might ask yourself, well, why did you just, why didn't you just do that to start with? I don't know. It was, it was just like at that, at the level one of getting the, this app going, there was just no time for, to think about anything else. And so I don't know that I would have done it any differently, but after I went through the pain of, of, of losing 50, 60, uh, pounds and, and going from not being able to run a half mile to running 26, I didn't want to go backwards. I didn't want to have to like do all that all, all over again. So yeah, I was able to maintain it from there, luckily. Oh, that, that's amazing. Honestly, that's incredible because it isn't easy, especially if you're carrying a bit, you know, a bit of weight and you've not Oof. run before. It's it's hard work, isn't it? It's oh, not yeah. easy. It's painful. <laughs> oh my God. But I love, I love that analogy about the momentum and, and kind of just keeping going and having a plan because that's it. When you're running a marathon, yeah. you're training for a marathon, you know exactly how many runs you need to do, you know, yep. when, when you're doing your long run, when do you need to take your rest days, all of this stuff. It's quite a regimented program, isn't it? You know, business and business is the same way. Yeah. Let's say you're trying to execute a SEO strategy. You know how many blog posts you got to write. You know how many how many words you got to create. How many photos you got to take. You know you know uh, how many new pages you got to make. It's the same thing. You have you have that plan. You got to work that plan. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And actually, you've just reminded me of, well, a thought has just come to my mind as you were talking, Brian, because I think, you know, I'm a big believer when I work with, uh, I work do one-to-one mentoring with business leaders to scale up and grow, et cetera, or corporate execs that want to get into the boardroom and become CEOs of big businesses. But I often say, start with the end in mind. Now, yep. I'm not talking about like, you know, the, the, the unrealistic stuff over here, but you know you're going to run 26.2 miles. That's the end. And then you've got to work backwards and say, okay, well, bringing it right back, what do I need to be doing today and the next day in order to build up to that? And I think that's absolutely great, that analogy that you had around having a plan, plan the work and work the plan. Yeah, really, it's, really a great, it's a great parallel. It really is. I mean, you can go from not being able to run a half mile to running 26 miles in, in three months if you work that plan. 
and a lot of businesses that way also. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so I just want to kind of change tack a little bit, Brian, and talk about um, when you scaled uh, the first business, Peachtree, up to ten million, and then you subsequently sold it in two thousand and thirteen. Um, what was the catalyst for you selling? Was it that you had a number in mind, a certain scale or a value that you wanted to achieve and you got to that point, you said, right, now's the time to sell? Or was it that you were approached and, and how, did, how do you know when is the right time to exit a business as a business owner in your case? <clears throat> I think a lot of business owners, uh, some of them just want to run a, a nice business their whole life and, 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 they, and that is their baby. That's what it was for me. I didn't have uh, this idea of selling the company ever. And so, and so I think if you have the idea of wanting to eventually sell the business, it's very important that you work that plan proactively. Uh, there's a great book called Built to Sell that it talks about this. How do you build the kind of business that'll, that'll eventually be purchased? And so that, that's important to like, again, begin with that end in mind of, okay, this is what the finish line looks for me. I'm going to pass this business down to my kids and I'm going to run it for the next 20 years. Or in five years, I want to exit this business for, for X number of outcome. Those are two, two completely different paths uh, when running a business and how you run the business and what decisions you make on a daily basis. So that was a mistake I made. What happened to me was um, the, the business for 15 years was this thing that was causing me to take on new challenges and to grow and evolve really as a human being um, to, to take on new challenges and to, to do things I never would have done. And that's one piece of enjoyment I was getting from it. I didn't really understand it at the time, but that's what it was. And, and so I kind of hit a plateau uh, in terms of my personal development running that company. It's not like I conquered the world or anything, but it was one of the biggest businesses in the marketplace that I was operating in. And some of the challenges had, had kind of like become routine almost. And so it hit me one day, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm not getting the fulfillment from this, from this thing anymore. I'm making good money, but I'm not, I'm not enjoying it like I once did. And so I thought, well, maybe I could sell it. And from the moment I had that notion to the moment I got the business acquired was like over two years. And it was really, really challenging because I had to reverse engineer a lot of things into the business that weren't there. Processes, systems, layers of management, uh, contracts, uh, compliance, accounting practices, all sorts of things that weren't there. And I, it was really almost like taking it down to the studs and rebuilding it again. And then in a weird way, when I was able to get it sold, I fell back in love with it and didn't really want to sell it. It was strange. So my point is to, to listeners is, is to, if you think about maybe you want to sell your business one day, start today, read that book, Built to Sell, and start working a plan that in five years you can get it done. Uh, because it's a very different thing than, than, than running a, a lifestyle business or running a family business. And, and so that's, that's something that I would do differently if I could have done it all over again. Yeah, you make a really interesting point, actually, because I think even if ultimately you decide not to sell, if you've set it up in a certain way, you're, you're more likely to have the option or an easier option at the point you want to execute it. So if there's even a an inkling that that might be something you want to pursue, even yep. if you're not 100% sure, you can set things up in a way that still allows you to 
potentially sell or if you decide you just want to keep it you are yeah. going to have a much more robust business anyway because of the discipline etc that you've put in and will probably be more profitable than if you'd run it in a slightly different way from from that point so it's very true it's very true and uh you know odds are that's probably the better route to go there's just philosophical differences in the two different ways you run a business that you're going to sell versus that you're going to keep um for example let's say you have a restaurant and and you feel like um, it's important to to uh, pay for the college of anybody that's been with the restaurant more than three years and you just pay for uh, the college and you pay for their books um, and and uh, and and you just feel like that's a that's an important thing to do for your people um, you can't connect the dots on what the ROI is on that. You don't necessarily know that if you put $50,000 into that, you're going to get $50,000 back out. But it's just something you do because it's it's a philosophy you have in running your business. Now, if you're going to sell that business one day, that $50,000 you spent on, on sending somebody to college is going to cost you maybe five hundred grand at sale because they're going to give you 10 times net income uh, versus... If you're sell, if you're running this business to sell, you you probably would cut back on that or eliminate it because there is no there is no uh, direct correlation to profitability by making that decision. And so right there, that, that just that one thing that's a half million dollar swing on on selling, on on when you go to sell the business. It's a weird thing. They're they're, they're very very different philosophies. Uh, a business that you're gonna you're gonna maximize net net income over a short period of time versus one that you're going to run for, for, for 10, 20, 30 years and leave a legacy behind. So that's, that's something, that's how I experienced it. And so that's something that I'll point out to people, think about these things and pick which path you're going to take. Cause they're different paths. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. So when you, when you sold back in 2013 then you took some time to just sort of, you know, hopefully enjoy, enjoy the wealth that you had created from the sale of the business. Cause sometimes we, uh, we don't actually always enjoy, enjoy the fruits yeah. of our labor enough. You know, it's all That's about, the, it's all about the deal and the next thing. And we don't stop and go, wow, this is pretty cool. I'll enjoy this for a while. But you, you, did you, did you actually enjoy that time when you, when you sold and in between, starting the next thing or not i did uh but it was just like it got old quickly i took almost a year off and and it was uh i was still i was still young at the time probably 34 years old and so i learned really quickly something about myself that i didn't know previously was that the business was the thing that was causing me to live an interesting storyline it was the thing that was causing me to take on new challenges and now that was gone and so life didn't necessarily become boring, but it, it wasn't filled with the, the challenges and the reward of accomplishing hard things uh, was gone too. And so there was kind of this void. And so that was what led me to uh, want to start a second company. Now, if I had known how hard the second business was going to have ultimately become, I never would have done it. So a lot of times this naivete is, is good. Uh, it's good that you don't know what you don't know because that's an asset. You can, you can kind of get seduced to getting back back in, and so that's that's how it unfolded for me. I I remember really clearly that that uh, I was in Costa Rica one time, and I, the hardest challenge I had faced in like two weeks was the bar ran out of my favorite type of tequila, and so I was thinking, man, this is this is great. This is I guess the good life, but but uh, I'm cut out to solve bigger problems. This, so what should I do now? I guess I should start another business. 
And that's how I got, that's how I got big, back into the game. Amazing. That's great. I, can I talk about ego a little bit? And I'm, sure. I, I, I'm not saying you've got a big ego or, or a small <laughs> ego, but we all have an ego, right? The reality is we all have some semblance of an ego. And I think, you know, you make an interesting point around identity, And, you know, when you're a business owner and it's your baby and you've started it from scratch and so much of of kind of who you are can often become entrenched in in the business. Whereas the reality is that's, you know, is that what you do or is it who you are? And, And I think there's an interesting conundrum here around identity and ego. And all of a sudden, when you've been, you know, the founder, the CEO of this business, it's really successful. And then all of a sudden that's gone out of choice because you've sold it, but still, was there an aspect around identity and kind of, you know, you're not feeling, not feeling on your game because of that? Absolutely. Uh, for me, uh, maybe it's not healthy, but for me, it is all wrapped up into one. So my, I am my business, my business is me. And I think a lot of founders, it is like that for them. Even probably Jeff Bezos, Amazon is scaffolding around Jeff Bezos. And, you know, so even at like the highest level in, in, in humanity, it's kind of like that. And, and at a very small level, you know, Green Pal in my current business is scaffolding around me. So I, I think, uh, I think that's, that's how it is for a lot of founders. You know, maybe if you're, if you're an experienced operator, you can separate these things, but, but I never have been able to. And, and if you want to do something really humbling with your life, start a business. If you want to keep your ego in check, go start a business because it's very humbling. Um, the, the, the marketplace is a relentless arbiter of feedback. And it's always going to tell you everywhere that you suck and everywhere that your, that your baby sucks. And, and you're going to learn really quickly that nobody gives a crap about your success, uh, other than, than you and your team. And, and there's been many stories when, when I was building green pal, you you know, I just, I like, we have 300,000 people using this app today, but in the early days we needed, we needed 20 people to use the damn thing. It was hard to use and it was terrible, uh, but I couldn't even get my own mother to use the app to hire her lawn care service. Like, no, I like my guy and I don't want to fire my guy, but mom, I'm, I'm building this app. I need you to, I need you to use it to, to hire a new guy. No, I don't want to fire him. And uh, I don't really want to try something new. <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. I need like 20 people to use. So it's like a funny story. Um, that starting a new business is very humbling. And if you want to like keep your ego in check, go start a business because it'll, it'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, so obviously you've had masses of success, Brian, you, you know, you really have, and you're still, you're still very much on, on the path, you know, I mean, let's see what happens next for you. I'm going to be really fascinated to, to see how things evolve for you, but you know, you, you made a, you made a good point there that it's not always easy. There are highs and lows. So can yeah. you, can you just take us through a couple of, the lows, if you like, the really difficult times when you think back and think, oh my God, that was really, that was really tough. That was shit. I was in danger of losing it all or, you know, losing my shit or whatever it was. Um, can you think, can you just go through some of that? Because it's very easy to focus on the success, but people don't see the journey along the way with the the challenges and all the things you have to deal with. So can you just t- explain some of that for us? Yeah, you know, uh, the thing about the lows is five 10 years later, you're always glad they happened and it's weird. And so, you know, if you think about the, sh- the context of starting a business in, in like a, like a, like a movie, almost, um, the storyline has its ups and downs and, and without the lows, then it doesn't make it a very interesting story. And so you, 
you kind of have to go through those periods. Not that you want to, and you really do kind of want to avoid them. But, but me looking back, there, there's, there's several. One was uh, in my first business, I, my payroll was like $250,000 a week. And it was due on every Monday morning and uh, Sunday night. And I knew that we only had like 12 grand in the bank. And, and so I couldn't sleep that Sunday night and, you know, many sleepless nights like that and having to work through those moments where you, you screwed up somewhere as the founder and you, and you didn't keep your eye on the ball and you mismanaged cash flow And now you can't make payroll is a really, really hard uh, thing to go through. Um, made it through it. My team, you know, we kind of galvanized around unique ways of, to solve that problem, ended up making everybody whole. So, you know, I was glad that I went through that now, you know, 15 years later. Uh, part, some of the really hard low points um, of starting a new business is when it's just not working and you're pushing on a string. It's not like it's not like it's working and you screwed it up and now you've got this big problem. It's like, it's, so it's just, no, it's small and it's not working. And and like, like that moment where I had 20 users and I needed to get to a hundred. So those are some of the hardest, the hardest parts of, of, of starting a business. And, and the way I got to get through those is, is, is to just celebrate the small wins. Uh, you know, we got 20 customers. We're trying to get to 40. How do we get 20 more and celebrating 40 customers? You know, I, I was running, I went from a business that was, that had thousands of customers doing 10 million a year in revenue to then starting over again. You know, trying to beg people to use my app for a $30 lawn mowing, you know, really had to learn again how to celebrate those little small wins. And like when we when we hit a hundred customers in a week, we went out and partied that night like it was like it was a million. And so celebrating those small wins in the early days, because you know if they compound, they will become big. That that was what worked for me. Yeah, that is genius advice, actually. And um, it's keeping it simple, isn't it? And not trying to overcomplicate things um, as yes, well. Absolutely. So, yeah, brilliant. And so you talked about some of the challenges in terms of starting a business. Can we can we think about now scaling and, and you know, how do you scale? What's the what are the what are the levers that you need to, to pull in order to scale up? Because it is different to starting for sure. Yeah, every you know, every business journey has kind of like three, three phases. Like there's the startup, which is me with 20 customers trying to get to hundred. Then there's the grow up. Uh, it's like, you're, 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 you're trying to get to maybe a million in revenue or whatever. And then there's the scale up and it's like, okay, this is working. How do we move faster? And maybe the, as those unfold in two levels of a game, maybe the first three, four levels are startup, the middle five, six, seven, eight, or grow up in the last nine, 10, eight, nine, 10 or, or scale up. Um, I'm pretty good at the first two phases. Uh, you know, we've built green to now 30 million a year in revenue, but we got to get to hundred million in revenue. And so we're kind of in that scale up phase. And at this stage of the game, it really does come down to uh, your, your, your leadership style, how you're recruiting people, how you're getting the right people on the bus, how you're setting them up for success, how you're laying out, uh, what it is they're doing and, 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 and how you're measuring their success and, and, and getting the wrong people off the bus quickly um, is, is really what this stage of the game looks like. And it's a lot harder. It's like every level there is a new final boss. And, and so it's, uh, it's something that, you know, I think some people are well-suited for this, are well-suited for the startup or the scale-up. Rarely do you see people that are good at both. But uh, it's, it's, it's challenging because now 
the business is less about what you're doing on a daily basis. And it's, it's, it's more about delegation. It's more about setting other people up for success to help drive the business forward. And that's, that's another order of magnitude harder, mm. but it, it's, it's one that, uh, it's one that I'm, I'm growing as an evolving, uh, as, as I do it, I've never ran a business this big and, uh, I'll keep doing it as long as I'm having fun. Brilliant. And, and what, what do you think are the areas that you need to, to kind of shape and evolve as a leader in that's in this scale up phase? What do you recognize in yourself that needs to maybe change or be tweaked or, you know, help you, you have to learn how to, how to not believe your own BS. And, and so what I mean by that is you kind of really do have to like, shore up places where you suck. And so for me, a lot of, a lot of what I'm not good at is the analytical side, the data side, the spreadsheet side. And I have to like, it's like, it's like, it's like chewing on glass for me to, to dive into that stuff, but I have to do it. And I have, and I have to get good at it because I have to be like 80, 20 good at pretty much everything in order to be able to drive these things forward. You know, you look at like Elon Musk, I mean, that dude's awesome at design, rocket science tree, you know, leadership, quantum physics, all of these things. He's pretty good. Like any of his companies, he can go onto the shop floor and have a high level conversation with any of the tens of thousands of people that work for him. Um, and so that's kind of like, I think what every founder should aspire to be. You've got to be willing to shore up these things that you're not, not like naturally good at. Mm, yeah. I mean, I often think a, a business leader, you know, I, I, I use an analogy around being almost like a helicopter, you know, mm. you need, and this comes back to your point about being on the business versus in the business, because as a leader, in particular, when you're scaling up, you're, you're here, you're hovering above, you're looking at the strategy, you're raising finance, you, you've got the end game in yep. mind, all of that, you're, you're, you're creating a talented team and, and empowering your team, delegating effectively. And that's great. But when things go wrong or they need more attention, you have to know when to land, yep. get, get involved, but then importantly, take off again so yep. that you're not meddling. And I think as, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, letting go so that you can grow is often the hardest thing. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. But at the same time, you have to be able to know when to land a helicopter into a problem. It's like, you know, you may not be a, 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 a CFO expert, but you got to know when your CFO isn't cutting it. You may never have like ran a PR strategy, but you got to know when your head of PR isn't getting it done and you got to be able to land and, and, and help diagnose what's going on. Is it the person? Is it the role that you set up for them and you, di you didn't set them up for success? Is it your fault? Is it, are they not the right fit? Diagnosing those problems, like you said, landing, fixing them and then, and then hovering over another part of the business. You got to be pretty good at all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's an exciting time then for you, Brian, isn't it? Having already, you know, uh, started, scaled, and sold one business. And now you're in that scale-up phase of, uh, of GreenPal as well. I think it's a really, really cool time for you. So so what is next, Brian? What What is your vision for the business and, and for, for you yourself? Right now, we're around 300,000, 30 million in revenue. We've got to get it over a million users active using the app and get it over 100 million in revenue. And then expand internationally is, is what the next five years looks like for us. And we don't worry about a whole lot other than those big goals and the little things that we got to do on a daily, weekly, and quarterly basis to get there is, is what it looks like for us. I'm not a big five-year plan kind of guy. I, I set out a big goal and then we just focus on it week by week on how to get there. Yeah, yeah, which is exactly how we started the conversation, wasn't it? And um, do you think you'll do that organically or inorganically, Brian? You know, we are self-funded, so we haven't raised a ton of cash uh, 
and, and like put it, you know, like I, re- I think I read somewhere that 70% of all venture capital goes back to three places, Google, Facebook, and Amazon. That has not been our strategy. Our, our strategy has been a lot of word of mouth, a lot of organic search. And so I, for us, you know, at, we're just going to double down on what's already working. We're going to continue to do more organic uh, traffic, uh, inbound generation, and then and, and also juicing word of mouth. That will get us there. Um, you know, we're in a fortunate position where nobody's going to yank the rug out from under us. It's not like there. It's not like the the early days of Uber and Lyft where they were uh, just at each other's throats. We don't ha- really have that in our industry, so we're just going to continue to go slow and low and build it organically. Oh, brilliant! And are there any competitors that would stand out in your mind as a particular threat, or have you pretty much got a free run at it? It's the the biggest competition we face is the status quo. So it's kind of like in nineteen. Uh, maybe 2008, if you wanted to order uh, food online, you would not think about Deliveroo or DoorDash or, or Uber Eats, you know, because they didn't exist. You would like, you would just dial for dollars. And then there was Grubhub. They were, they were like the one player and, and they constituted like 1% of food delivery. That's kind of where we're at in our industry. It's, it's the, the status quo is people still do it the hard way. They still call and leave voicemails. They still, they still like dial for dollars off of, off of uh, internet directories like Angie's List or Home Advisor or things like that. So that's the challenge we face is, is educating people to understand that, hey, no, actually you can just download an app, push a button and somebody will do it for you. That's the main uh, the challenge we face is, is, is as competition is the status quo. Mm. Well, I love the concept. I can't wait for you to come to the UK, Brian. As we were saying before, we'll be we, there. before we press record, you said you've been to you've been to the other parts of Europe, but you haven't been to the UK. So we've got to fix that. Absolutely, we'll be there very, very soon. I, I, I've got. I want to come explore the explore the land and also put my business there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm your woman on the ground. Don't you worry. We're all here to here to welcome you and see how you can uh, take the business forward here. But no, it's fantastic. So I've got a few final questions, Brian. It's been fascinating awesome. talking to you. It really has. Um, so, you know, when you look back over your business life and the, the different businesses you've run uh, and also your personal life as well, you know, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, do Do less things that don't matter. And I know that sounds trite, but a lot of times when you're in business, especially getting one going from scratch, there's really only like two things that you should, or maybe three, uh, that you should even be worried about a lot. And I think as new founders, there's so many like bright, shiny objects that we can get distracted by. You know, what's our TikTok strategy and what's our brand uh, color scheme going to look like? And what's the co- company culture? We only have t- one employee, but what's the company culture? And yeah, these things are important, but Really, you just need more customers and you need to talk to your customers and you need to figure out, are you making them happy? Are you not? Are you pissing them off? Are you delighting them? What do they wish that it would do? What, where are you letting them down? Where are you making them happy? That's really all that matters at that stage of the game. And then in the next stage of the game, there's maybe two or three other things, but focusing less on things that don't matter and just working one or two things at a time is something I've been guilty of. And I think that we all need to be reminded of. Yeah, that's really good, really good, really good advice. And when you look back, can you think of any advice that you took that didn't work out so well? Or maybe it was bad advice that you ignored and you were relieved that you had ignored it? Uh, yeah, I, I got some bad advice. Um, it wasn't detrimental, but I think, I think um, particularly in startup land and, and starting a, a business, there's this idea around that you can like network your way to success. And 
So one of the pieces of advice I got was starting GreenPal and I was having to make the transition from a blue collar entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur. It was like, oh, you need to get out into the tech scene and you need to network and you need to uh, like learn, know a bunch of new people. And so I spent a whole year uh, going to every mixer I could, every, every networking event I could. And, and I, what I learned was it's not who you know. It may not even be what you know. It's, it's what you've built. And, and like none of that BS matters. Just build something, get, peop- get some customers to use it, um, and, and work really hard on that. And then, and then the network will grow from there. You can't really network your way from zero to one. Because people hate that and, and everybody hates the transactional element of it. And so I'm not saying like don't attend network events, but, but what, what I am saying is that stuff's not really that important at the early stages of, of starting a business. Yeah, you've got to bring something to the party, haven't you? You really do. Get to work, delight 20 customers, turn that into 100 and then turn that into 1,000. Uh, that's all that matters. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, that's good. That's uh, very, very sound. And the last question, this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, Brian. So it's uh, been fantastic having you on. But when you think of those three words or that as a phrase, what does it mean to you? Brave, bold, b- brilliant. Um, well, I don't know if I can uh, relate to the brilliant part, but I, uh, I think I'd like to think that I have the, 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 the boldness and, and the courage to, to get in there and start a business because it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do but it's also one of the most rewarding things that you'll ever do. Um, this concept of, of thinking about your life in the, in the course of a, of a, of a storyline, and it's the highs and lows and the challenges, and the business can be the storyline to your life. Um, and so it, it, you have to have courage. You have to be brave, and you have to kind of like almost have the faith to believe in yourself that you can do it. And then maybe maybe some elements of brilliance uh, for me have have unlocked along the way, but that's what it means for me. I think that it's like the, the business is a storyline to your life and the business is what is causing your life to be interesting and, and almost worth living. Fantastic. What a great answer. I've not had anything like that before. Wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on all, all the way from, uh, from Tennessee across the pond. And um, I can't wait to see you in the UK as well. And good luck with everything. Really, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you, Jeanette. I appreciate you having me on your show. Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review. 